For those that are online, good morning. We're, I'm so glad you're here. Hope Campus, I'm so glad you're here. I'm sorry that you have me two weeks in a row. Um, last week I was at the Hope Campus, actually virtually at the Hope Campus. I was really looking forward to being there. The weather came in. We had to cancel it. We were online. And um, I've never done Facebook Live all on my own. So if you watch the beginning of the Hope deal, it's embarrassing. Um, so anyways, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. And the Hope Campus, listen, they uh, stepped up this week in just an incredibly huge way. They um, were able to uh, be a warming center uh, for Tyler. In fact, when a lot of the, there were several warming centers, a lot of them had to close. Uh, the folks from those uh, ended up going to Hope and to a couple of other places. But we had at, at any one time, I think we had a, as many as 50, 55 people at one time. And then with people coming and going, probably somewhere close to 70 or 75 people that were there um, for a few nights. And we uh, were able, the, some folks brought cots, uh, the, the fire department brought some cots, and we had uh, waters and food and uh, the kitchen was, was uh, running. And I just want you to know, Ricky and Jane Garner are rock stars. They absolutely, that's right. They led a great team, um, and there were a lot of folks that, that just gave their entire week to the Hope Warming Center, um, Jerry and Marty Putman, uh, Rick and Jane Rogers, um, Chris and Tracy Walker, uh, uh, Lauren Rowe, and um, uh, Stephen Wallace and Asher Blair, they, those guys ran the kitchen, and it was just uh, phenomenal, and I shouldn't have started naming anybody. I left out a bunch of names. But there, it was a, folks from almost every one of our campuses were there helping out. And it was just a great um, opportunity to, to step in and be the church and exactly what we want to do. And it, um, So I'm very, very, very thankful uh, for that team. All right, here's what I want to do. Um, I got a bunch of stuff I got to talk about today. And it's Ephesians chapter 3, and it's the first 13 verses. And in hindsight, it probably should have spent about four or five weeks on it. But that's right, I'm going to talk pretty fast, all right? Um, No dramatic pauses. You just got to hang with me this morning. Because this is, this is an incredible passage. And it would be, it's easy to read this passage and to miss some of the incredible things. Now, it's easy to see some of the other incredible things, but there's a couple of things in this passage that I want to make sure that we don't miss and what it means to us in our life. I mean, why in the world do we do church? Why in the world do we get up on a Sunday morning and come and sit in an auditorium and and sing the songs and pray the prayers and, and open God's Word? Why do we do that? Why do we meet in homes for small groups? Why do we, um, why do we constantly appeal to adults in our congregation to spend time, a seasons of life, serving and caring for and showing the love of Christ to 
kids all across this campus. Why do we do all of this? In many ways, there, there are things that if we look and go, you know, there's stuff not efficient about this. You know, we could probably accomplish some of these things in a much more technological way or much more efficient way. Or, um, uh, so why, why do we do it? Why has the church done it for 2,000 years? You know, it's particularly um, relevant today because we, we've spent a year in a pandemic and a week in, in the snowmageddon, right? I saw something. I'll probably regret saying this. But, you know, you had the you know, if 2020 was, was hell, 2021 is hell frozen over, right? Um, I mean, but that, I mean, we've lived through it. And so, and, and these things have served, you know, they've served some good things. You know, our lives have changed. Some things have slowed down. We've got extra family time, which also means, gosh, pressures and, you know, um, you, you know, Marriage pressure and parenting pressure and all these things that have, that have risen. But, but what it has also done is it's disconnected us. And it's lulled some of us into thinking, well, man, I don't need the church. I mean, I can just do the church online deal. I mean, this is much easier. I stay in my pajamas. We can, you know, and I get that. Listen, I get it. You don't do that sometimes if you need to. But realizing when you're doing that, when the, the, the church can't be replaced. It's not something that was ever meant to be or can be or sustained virtually. Although we'll, we'll do it, we're going to keep doing it. But the church is about the gathering of God's people. And it's not about you coming and hearing a sermon. It's not about you coming and singing songs. It is a it is that God is doing something when we gather by his Holy Spirit that's, that's life-changing and life-altering to us. And, and I want you to see what, how much Paul thinks of the church, what, why he thinks it's such a big deal. And he begins here in chapter 3, verse 1. Now, it's a, it's a continuation of, of last week, and just to remind you of last week, Todd did a great job on this campus um, last week um, talking through this passage. But essentially, what he's saying is the church, he said it last week in Ephesians 2, the last verses, 11 through 22, that the church is ground zero for peace. That the church of Jesus, this is ground zero for peace. If there's going to be peace in this world, the church is ground zero, and peace is going to flow out from that because of what Jesus did. And we long for peace in our hearts. I mean, we long for it. In the deepest part of us, we want peace. We, we long for it in our marriages and our families and our friendships and, and in our neighborhoods and with the people that we work with and, and, and for our city, our, our, our country. And Paul says, Jesus himself is our peace. And what he does is he brings two disparate groups two different groups, two groups that are hostile to each other and brings them near to himself. And in coming near to him, we're brought near to each other. 
That's how peace happens. It's proximity language. And the way that can happen, the way we can come near to Jesus is because Jesus died on the cross. He shed His blood to deal with our sin problem. The sin problem that separates us from God, but also separates us from each other. And, and, and when I say the sin that separates us from each other, I'm not talking about your sin that separates you from me. At least, I don't want to be anyway. What I'm really talking about is my sin. My sin that looks at you and goes, I don't know why he does it that way. I don't know why he thinks that way. I don't know why he has that opinion. Then my sin kicks in and I begin to think of a whole bunch of things in my mind about you that keeps us at a distance. But what Paul said last week, listen, as you draw near, you can't draw near to Christ without drawing near to each other. That doesn't happen. You, you can't draw near to Christ and be in a hostile way with other people, other believers. It doesn't work. So, this is he's talking about last week. He said that this is our day-to-day life on earth, living out our, our day-to-day faith in a, in a week-to-week church. And we do this before a watching world. This morning, what he's going to say is not only do we have a day-to-day faith and this week-to-week community and by that, I don't mean that we just, we're just here on Sundays and it, it ends there. I'm saying this, this anchors us for all the other things that keep us connected during the week. But what he's going to say is that this, this day-to-day um, and week-to-week, there's actually something greater than that. Paul's going to show us this morning, there is age-to-age ramifications. There's... There's the death of Jesus on the cross that's working its way in our lives day to day. There is something about Jesus' death on the cross that's working through our lives. Age to age. And it's not just before a watching world. There's an eternal and cosmic stage that that's taking place on. So look at what he says. Let's just let's do this. I'm not going to read the whole passage. We're just going to read it, read a verse, talk about it, read a verse. We'll do it that way and then hopefully wrap it all up. But chapter 3, verse 1, he says this, for this reason, all these things I just reminded us, for this reason, this is what this, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of, of you Gentiles. Now, skip down, if you will, to verse 13, because I want you to see their bookends. He says, I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So, so then in 13, he says, so, so don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, this imprisonment, which is your glory. So there were people going, I'm, if this thing's so great... Why is the guy who planted our church, Paul, why is he sitting in prison? See, that doesn't seem like what we signed up for in Christianity. 
And Paul wants to say, so you're seeing everything wrongly. If, if, so he's going to tell us we see a bunch of things wrong. This is the most, one of the most convicting passages for me. But he begins by saying, look, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's not writing, listen, he's not writing from a place of privilege here. He's not writing from a place of comfort. He, he's on the outside, he's looking in, it doesn't, it doesn't appear that Paul's winning at life, he's not sitting in the place that we might today call answered prayer. You know, answered prayer, right? It's what we usually mean that what I wished for has come true. Here's the thing. Paul's going to answer the circumstances in his life. He's going to approach the circumstances in his life. And he does it in very sound, biblical, doctrinal way. See, God is doing something in human history. Not only is God doing something in human history, God is has this divine and sovereign purpose in his life. And God's ultimate purpose in Paul's life is the ministry that he's called him to. So, so what Paul's doing, he's got low emotion and high content. Think about it that way. And he says, we've got to understand. Your life, your life making sense is not about getting God to change your circumstances, but beginning to understand how your circumstances are part of his divine plan and how you're responding to that plan. In other words, what Paul's saying is, I'm not a victim here. He doesn't say, Paul, a prisoner of Rome. Paul, a prisoner of Nero. Paul, a prisoner because the sorry Jews in Jerusalem betrayed me. And he says, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul's there on purpose. It's easy to get there though, right? So how, how could this happen to me? This isn't fair. Gave gave money to my church, and, and, you know, now I'm upside down financially, or, or, you know, we're committed, we go to church every week, and, you know, we took our kids to church, and we put them in Christian school. How in the world? Could my son go off and do that, or my daughter go off and do that? It's unbelievable. Or we say things like, God, you know, we've walked with you, we've, we've, you know, we've done all the things for you, And then you get to a place, you think, we have all these dreams, we were going to retire, and then, then there was a job loss, or a financial crisis, or a health crisis, or a death, death of a spouse. And it's easy to say, well, this isn't fair. Paul says, I'm here. Because God is absolutely sovereign. That's what he's saying. That means he's in control. God is good. He's 
loving. He's all wise. To be good, he means he always has your best in mind. When he's talking about God's sovereignty and other places that he writes, he means anything that comes into your life is either decreed or allowed by him. When we speak about the wisdom of God, when Paul speaks about the wisdom of God in other places, it's the best possible end. By the best possible means, for the most possible, for the longest term possible. And so if he's all wise and all good and all faithful and all powerful and can do whatever, whatever, and whatever comes in your life and whatever comes in my life, Paul says the sovereign God's either decreed that or allowed that, and that's a faith issue for us. And that's the first thing we've got to realize, that our life in Christ is about faith. Now, he goes from there, and, he, and he, so here I am, I'm in prison on behalf of the Gentiles. If you wanted to make a note in your margin, you could look up later, Acts 22, 21 and 22. What Paul does there is he's you know, he's, been, he's being arrested in Jerusalem. He tells his story. This is how I came to Christ. And then he says to the, to the crowd, the Jews, he says, and, and God told me he was going to send me far away to the Gentiles. And as soon as he says Gentiles, the crowd loses their mind. They couldn't handle it. He said, well, why couldn't they handle it? Well, here, here's... here's what Paul's going to say. Verse 2, he says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I've written briefly, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Verse 5, this mystery, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. In other words, Gentiles do not have to become Jews to come to Christ. That's the scandal. That's the mystery. Now, I know what you're saying. Okay. I don't know that that means anything to me. I don't know. Which one am I? Am I the Gentile? Am I Jew? Maybe you don't know. Mystery, it's, it's three times in the passage. It shows up four times in the English. It means something that cannot be explained. It remains um, hidden until God, God himself, uncovers it. It's covered over. It's always been there, but it's been covered. It, it's, it's been hidden until God comes and reveals it. And he did not reveal it until the coming of his spirit in Acts chapter 2 to his apostles and then Paul. And it's in verse 6 that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. The, the mystery 
this mystery is the church that God planned from the very beginning was going to be the, the outcome, the immediate outcome of the resurrection of his son Jesus, that the church was going to be born, that Jesus would leave a physical body and then inhabit, if you will, indwell a spiritual body called the church. And each one of us are indwelt by his spirit. And the church is made up of Jews and Gentiles and rich and poor and Slaves and free and male and female. Everyone who believes in Jesus. Everyone. Everyone comes near to Jesus. And the ground is level. And this is the church. And, and so, in some ways, what he's saying, don't be discouraged. So, yes, I'm in prison. But I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And why I'm here is because of this mystery that the Gentiles were going to have free Access. They were going to have the same access, that we were all going to come to this deal together, that we were going to become this one new man that he talked about last week. We're going to be the church. He says, you're all anxious and tense. You're nervous. You're upset because I happen to be in a prison cell. Don't be discouraged. Don't miss it. That in all the past history of mankind, it wasn't revealed to the resurrection and ascension of Jesus and the sending of the Holy Spirit. And the word for uh, revelation is uncovered. Now, I'm going to take two minutes, and that's all I'm going to take. And I'm probably not going to respond to your email about this. I might, however, forward it to Paul Tanner, one of our elders, and let him respond. And that'll teach you, all right? So verses 5 and 6. 4, 5, and 6. You, you could make a note. We're talking about progressive revelation. Now, you already understand progressive revelation, whether you knew it was called that or not. And it simply says that um, uh, Abraham knew more than Noah did. And that Moses knew more than Abraham did. And then David knew more than all of them. And, and so that God progressively revealed his word. God progressively revealed his plan. God progressively revealed this unfolding drama of redemption. And that in each stage of revelation, if you think about it this way, or in each age, or in each now, let me use a word that some of you will be like, ah, I think I've heard that before. In each dispensation, God has a relationship with man, mankind, humankind. There's an economy, if you will. God has differing ways of managing his program from age to age. The principles of God don't change. The economy, how he, how he sets up relationship with mankind, that changes throughout the ages based upon the revelation that he gives. Now, I'm going to give you one quick example, and I'm, I'm telling you, I'm moving on. 
If you lived in the generation that was redeemed from the exile from Egypt, and you went out, you wandered in the wilderness, and then, or maybe you're the child of one of those that went into the wilderness, and then you went into the promised land, that relationship, that economy in relating fellowship with God was different than it is today. Salvation was not different. It was by grace through faith based on the death of Jesus to come. That's what the sacrifices did. They pointed to the death to come. Now we take communion look, remembering the death that happened. But in Deuteronomy 28, he says, listen, if you do these things, you obey me, you'll be blessed. There were material, physical blessings. If you disobey me, then bad things happen. And you think, well, well I wonder which one Israel did. This one. They disobeyed. Now, those were physical, material blessings living in a, in a land. Today, God still says the same thing. Listen, you obey me, there's blessings. But they're not physical, material blessings. They're spiritual blessings. Remember what he said in chapter 1? All spiritual blessings, the, the heavenly spirit in the heavenly, spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, we, it's all ours. And because the indwelling Holy Spirit, if we're disobedient, those don't get taken away from us. We just lose touch of our experience of them. Okay. So why did I say this? People say, what's the whole deal? I'm just saying, the church is a brand new thing. It's this mystery that's come, and it's a huge deal. And Paul's going to get to why it's such a huge, huge deal. But Paul, he's saying this... Paul's saying, I don't want you to forget something. He wants to remind them that, listen, I'm here, and, and, and not only and not just, just a tiny human being in the scale of all the universe, but it's worse than that. I'm a murderer, I'm a persecutor of the church, I'm a sinner, I'm an alien far from God who hated him and killed his followers who I was. So you have a Jew, a religious Jew at that, but he was murdering the church in Acts 9. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And then you have the Gentiles, and they're like, listen, they called them unclean dogs. They were pagans, barbarians, worldly. They listened to rock music. And the Gentiles come to Jesus, and the Jews come to Jesus. And what Paul says is it's because of God's immeasurable grace. We've looked at that. The kind of grace that can't be measured even if you had all eternity to try and to measure it. Unspeakable glory, riches, privilege. The, the, Paul says, I, I got to be the, the bearer of that good news. I got to be the steward of it. The revelation came to me and to the apostles and the prophets that came after that, and we've gotten to tell this story. We've gotten to tell that God's been doing something all along, and he's just now revealed what it is, and what it is is it's us. 
It's us doing this thing called the church, and it's this radically different perspective because when we understand what God is doing in the world, what he's up to in the world, then we're better able to understand what he's up to in our world. When we know what God's doing in the world, helps us understand what God's doing in our world. See, unconsciously, this is what we've done to the gospel. We've basically made God a self-help genie. So we wouldn't, we wouldn't say these things out loud. Of course we wouldn't. But we live this way. You know, this is my world. It's my agenda. And I want these biblical principles because, of course, I love Jesus and But the goal is, make my life work and make it work well. And I want to be happy and upwardly mobile and be healthy and my kids be great. And and all those desires are fine. I'm not saying that, but here's the deal. When we think about it that way, unconsciously, we become the center of the universe and God is our servant. And there's something wrong with that picture. There's actually, there's everything wrong with that picture. And there are a lot of people that are upset with God because he's not fulfilling promises that they think he's made. Because they, you know, they've believed and they've done certain things, and so God, you know. But guess what? Here's what Paul, it's his world, and it's his story. It's God's world, it's God's story. And when you begin to understand what God is up to in the world, then you begin to reinterpret your world. Matthew 28 and 29, what's God up to in the world? He's up to this thing called the church, shining the bright light of the hope of Jesus, of the hope of reconciliation, of the hope of peace with God and with each other to the entire world. We're to to shine so bright that the world, I mean, they're going to shield themselves. How do the circumstances in my life impact the Great Commission? How does my day-to-day faith impact the world around me and the people that don't know Christ? How do the circumstances in my life, circumstances I'm living through, the things I wish were different, how does that impact those who don't know Christ or those who are watching me go through it? We might not always know that answer, but that's, that's how we begin to look at it. Hey, God must be doing. God's up to something in the world. And whatever he's up to in the world means that he's also up to that in my world. See, Paul, he's, he's, he's launched past how we usually think about it. He says, listen, what are you going to do with forever? He's not... He said, what do you do next week? What do you do next year? What's your five-year goals? Okay. Paul said, no, okay. But what are you going to do with forever? Why are you here? What is your role in why you're here? Because until we understand what God's up to in the world, it's hard for us to ever get a hold of what God's up to in our world. 
What it means is that you're no longer tied to and entwined with the things that you can't, only the things that you can see. It means your life is more than the pursuit of American dream. Your life is more than 70 or 80 years of trying to be as comfortable and successful and fulfilled on this planet. Your life is eternal. Your life is now entwined with his history, with his eternal plan. And we're part of that, Paul says. Now, look, look, look at what he says. He's got a role in this. And in verse 7, he says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister. I'm a prisoner, verse 1, chapter, verse 7. I'm a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working, the energy of his power, dunamis, dynamite, to me that I am very least of all the saints, the grace was given to preach, evangelize to the Gentiles the unsearchable or the fathomless riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Listen, this isn't Paul simply reframing of his life. He, he's not looking at the positive here. He, he's not trying to make lemonade out of lemons. He's, he's not focused on his circumstances. Those come and go. Who he is in Christ is not threatened by any circumstance that he's in. He's not focused on change. He's not focused on his suffering or the Roman guard or the wasted time sitting in a cell when there's so much else that could be going that he could be doing. Or that this isn't really fair after all I've done for you, God. And that comes so naturally for us. See, Paul's in it's a, it's a sober self-evaluation. I don't, God's grace came to me by the working of his power. And this is unbelievable. Considering where I started... Highly focused, eternal perspective that colors everything. The unsearchable riches, the immeasurable grace. Can you believe these things were given to me, a murderer? To Paul's supernatural perspective. If we don't understand God's plan, we'll be forever frustrated with what we perceive as God's failure to fulfill our plans, our plans. And the supernatural perspective needs to be our perspective. In other words, what are you supposed to do? What are you, what are you called to? What are you gifted to? What's your mission? Why did he put you on earth? And this isn't just generic, like, okay, love people, share the gospel when I can, get a good job, raise a good family. No, I mean specifically. What, what has your name on it? What has your name on it in your life that the, son, that the Son of God, His only begotten Son Jesus, be known because of your life? The eternal mystery would be brought to life through your life. See, it's God's agenda, not my personal peace or comfort or happiness or success or prosperity. 
These things aren't what I need to understand. I need to understand. What's God doing in the world? And therefore then, what's he doing in my life? It's just a game-changing truth right there. It is a life-altering perspective. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your family. It'll change your work. It'll change how you play. It'll change how you look at money and what you do with it. It'll change your relationships and your friendships. It'll change the noisy moments in your life. It'll change the quiet moments as well. It'll change how you pray. It'll change how you see God's Word. It's a journey. And as you mature, as we mature, He shows you and shows you and shows you. And then He tells us the purpose of the church, which is what He's been leading to since He, since he left off with it for the Gentiles. Oh, yeah, that reminds me. Why the church? Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And this was according to the eternal purpose that he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering, which is for your glory. It's through the church He wants to make His wisdom known to all spiritual beings in the heavenly realms. Rulers, authorities, principalities, powers, all creation seen and unseen with the human eye. The rulers and authorities, specifically he's talking about angels. Listen, angels are created, they're immortal, which means they don't die as far as we know. They're not omniscient, they're not all-knowing. And you could say this about angels, they've got a better view now, but in eternity to come, we're going to have the better seats. Oh man, what are you that you are mindful? God, how are you mindful of, of man? We're, we're, we're lower than the angels and yet we'll be exalted above them. Angels in heaven have worshiped God from the moment of their creation, that they've covered their eyes because of his holiness. And yet what Paul says is that something about what we're doing this morning, when we've gathered, that this is what God has put on display to show, to make known to all of the cosmos his manifold wisdom. Listen, I know what you're thinking. But if an angel comes to say to God, how wise are you, God? You know what he does? Come here, let me show you. Look at that.
No. Look at it. And the angels are astounded. Fallen human beings who were once dead in their sins, angry, envious, irreconcilable, rebels and God-haters were now united together in one body of love and grace, however imperfectly. So we're still growing in it. We're still, we still want to grow in this. But Peter makes the same point, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. He says, listen, what, what's happening here in, in, in bringing dead people to life and hostile people and cultures and nations into one family, Peter says, they're things into which the angels long to look. You know why? Because they may know God's greatness as a creator. They may know His majesty and His glory. You know what they don't know? They have no first-hand experience of, they don't have any experience of His grace. And the kind of love that flows from that grace and mercy and redemption. They don't know what it is to be the object of God saying, I love them so much. I created them in my image. And I'm willing to send my only son to die for them. There is no redemption for the angels. You're part of an eternal plan, a mystery that God saved until this time, and you have a unique role in it, a role to give your life away like no one else's life, whole new set of lenses which with, to see the reality, what's truly true, what's really real. There's more to this life than, than right now. And the Christian life on this side of heaven was never meant to, never meant to meet all of our earthly desires by any means. It was meant to free us to love and be loved, experience this unexplainable joy in a relationship with Christ and each other regardless of our circumstances, until we grasp the extraordinary privilege of the eternal impact of God's purpose for our life together, we miss the greatest opportunities God will ever provide for us to glorify His name, for us to experience deeper intimacy with Him. We live in a world that's navel-gazing. Obsessed with its own fulfillment, full of narcissistic impulses. A consumer society that picks and chooses what it wants and rejects what it doesn't. 
And listen, that, that attitude is, is, is crept into the churches. It's all over church. Complain about the music going a little long, the sermon too short. I mean, not here, but... <laughs> the message didn't make me feel good. Or people are too weird. Or they're hypocritical, or they're awkward. Or whatever. The church doesn't exist for the consumer. It exists for God. Music, message, members. We're ultimately for Him. We get to be a part of it. We're the particip participants in God's eternal plan to display His manifold wisdom. And this is one of the biggest reasons we're walking through Ephesians together because the church matters. The church is the showplace God's infinite glory and manifold wisdom. When you can see past what the church is not about, it's not about programs and giving money and how good a sermon is or the music. It's not about the inconvenience that it might be or the hassle. It's also, let me be real clear about this, and I'll be done. You don't have to come back if you don't want to. I don't care. The church is not something of your own making. You say, well, how do you make your own church? Well, there are a lot of ways. The old term for it was tapers. If you were in the 80s, you know all about that. People left their church. They were usually mad. They sat in their homes and they listened to tapes. <laughs> and they called that church. No, it's not church. You can't make your own church. We're way more sophisticated today. We kind of have Build-A-Bear Church. Podcast here, worship songs there, a Bible app over there. What else do I need? Listen, those things aren't bad. That's not the church. You should download all that. Listen to all of it. I hope it makes a huge difference in your life. But that's not the church. Because they require nothing of you. It doesn't hold you accountable. You don't matter to your iPhone. The iPhone doesn't care how you're gifted by God's Spirit. Your headphones are not blessed by being in your ear. And when you can get past what the church isn't, then you can embrace what the church is. Then you're free. God's calling so, God's calling to us is so big and amazing and magnificently awesome. Just leaning into it, experiencing it radically changed the course of your life. So even, this, even the world around us, what we'd call the secular world, they know, they know there's more than just making money and achieving and impressive things, all the rich people, Carnegie's and Rockefeller's and Gates and to make a bunch of money, but it doesn't satisfy everything. They have to, I've got to live for something other than myself. So they make foundations and charities created to fill this void because everyone, religious or non-religious, understands the need for something more, to be a part of something bigger than themselves is what we were created for, whether you're willing to humble yourself before God and acknowledge it or not. 
And what greater cause is there than the gospel of salvation and the mission of the kingdom of God? And I want to be a part of that. And I can't imagine you don't want to be a part of it. Who wouldn't want to be a part of it? If they only knew the great meaning and purpose and fullness, it never ends. I'm done. I don't want you to be entertained. I don't want you to leave here. Oh, that was a great sermon. I, I want you to leave here overwhelmed at what God has done in your life. And that in coming near to Christ, that means being the church. And I want you to commit to it and love it or learn to love it. Because angels are watching us. They're watching us. And it makes God look good. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot of things we talked about this morning, probably too much for one morning. Pray you'd help us retain what is from you and what accords with your word, what sinks right up with it, and everything else, I pray, burn up, be forgotten. Father, I do pray you'd overwhelm us this morning. Overwhelm us at the immeasurable riches of your grace that you've bestowed upon us. That we just, we just get lost in what it means that it can't even be measured. And that your great desire that we'd walk in those works that you planned for us, which means we do that together. Fulfilling, living out, walking in this mystery that you sent your son to this planet to live a life, to take on our humanity, to take on our sin, and to die in our place so that we could be brought near to Him for Your glory. Father, for our good. So I pray you only You can do that in us and I pray You would. And pray it the only way we can in the name of Your Son, Jesus, and by the power of Your Spirit.